This is ASHA Voices. I'm J.D. Gray. On today's episode, we're looking towards next month's ASHA convention in Orlando. We'll speak with Tara Alexander, who received the Annie Glenn Award at convention for his work at the nonprofit The Stuttering Association for the Young or say. We discuss his experience with loneliness as a young person with a stutter and how he came to start Say. The group provides a community to a new generation who have stutters. I didn't meet anyone else who stutters until I was 26 years old. It's a really long time to grow up feeling like I was the only one that had this challenge. It's a really long time to grow up feeling alone. And when I was a kid, all I wanted was this. I wanted to be around other people who know what it felt like to talk the way that I did. That's a clip of Taro speaking to the attendees of Camp Say in the film My Beautiful Stutter. Later in the program, we'll hear from two researchers. We'll discuss what they discovered and what surprised them when they looked at MRIs of beatboxers. Why does beatboxing have all of these sounds that speech doesn't have? Why doesn't speech have all of these beatboxing sounds? If the human mouth can do these things, then why don't we all the time? Why don't these sounds appear in language? This is ASHA Voices. I'm J.D. Gray. Support for this episode of ASHA Voices is brought to you by the Office of Multicultural Affairs at ASHA, celebrating 50 years of increasing diversity and cultural competence. Support for ASHA Voices also comes from the ASHA Continuing Education Registry. You can earn ASHA Continuing Education units by joining the ASHA CE Registry and track your progress with your digital CE Registry transcript. Learn more at asha.org CE. If you see our next guest at ASHA convention, say congratulations. Taro Alexander will receive the 2019 Annie Glenn Award, named for John Glenn's wife, who was an advocate for speech, language, and communications issues. The Annie Award is presented to people creating positive change in the lives of those with communication disorders. Taro Alexander certainly exemplifies the award's values in his work with young people who stutter. Taro is the founder of SAY the Stuttering Association for the Young, the nonprofit association provides treatment and resources to children who stutter. Taro and his work are featured in the documentary film My Beautiful Stutter, and recently, Say founded Say DC in Taro's hometown. We'll talk about what it's like for Taro as a person who stutters to provide these services where he grew up. Taro Alexander, first of all, congratulations, and welcome to ASHA Voices. To begin, I was hoping you could help us get a better understanding of Say by telling us a story of someone whose life benefited from your program. I'm going to talk about myself for a second, which is not usually what, what I like to do. Growing up as a child who stutters in, in Washington, D.C., I didn't meet anyone else who stutters until I was 26 years old. I mean, just hearing you say that intro, this is all pretty wild to me. It brought me back just imagining uh, what five-year-old, seven-year-old, 10-year-old, 15-year-old Tarot must have been thinking and feeling. And it's wild to now, all these years later, be receiving this uh, really prestigious honor. You know, I, I grew up hating my stutter and feeling such shame 
I also did it, I don't even think I realized this at the time, but I did it as a way to heal myself and to heal my own wounds and to provide something for these kids that I didn't have as a child. And my life has been flipped upside down over and over again by this experience. I am a completely different person now in 2019 than I was in 2001 when I had the idea for Say. And so 2019, you know, I'm living my most courageous life uh, every day, trying to be a good role model to my three children that stuttering or any kind of difference shouldn't hold you back. I tip my hat. I, I raise my glass of water to these kids. What was it like when you realized you were someone who stutters? You know what's interesting about that question is my first memory of stuttering is when I was 11 years old. So I, I totally believe my parents <laughs> when they say that I started stuttering around five, but I don't actually have any clear memories of stuttering until I was 11 years old. And, you know, the thing about stuttering that's really interesting is, and I'm not a speech-language pathologist, I'm not a researcher, but in my experience, I, I have found something that, that works 100% of the time, and that's not talking. You know, if you don't talk, you don't stutter. And so I did a lot of that. I did a lot of not talking. And now that I'm immersed in the stuttering community and have been for 18 years, I don't think that choice is uncommon. There's a lot of kids who grow up stuttering who get very good at hiding, um, not talking in, in class, not talking in school. Did you use specific techniques to avoid talking? Yeah, I, I mean, I just didn't talk a lot. And so a lot of people thought that I was just really shy. Looking back, I just feel kind of sad about it, that I was living a life that was just consumed by fear uh, and consumed by, by getting caught from this thing that no one else really around me knew about or really even cared about. And if I could get through the day and nobody would call me out or give me a weird look, that day was a success, regardless of anything else that happened. Wow. That sounds really difficult, extremely difficult. Yeah, and lonely. You start to project, and pretty quickly, in my mind, it was fact, I'm the only person in the world who talks like this. That's a pretty big thing for a kid to kind of wrap their head around and can feel very, I just felt so isolated. Were there any specific moments or times that it stood out to you or that, that stand out to you? My mom is, uh, is an awesome person. She's a lot of fun and a really cool person, and uh, just, she's great. She's my mom. I love her. And I, I don't remember why she came to the school, but she came to the school for some event, and, and she, as I said, she's, she's pretty cool. And so uh, the next day there was a kid who was um, talking to me, and we were having a conversation, and he said, yeah, I got a chance to meet your mom last night. She's so cool. Can you remind me of her name? And so I usually stutter when I say my mom's name. And so I remember doing this whole kind of ridiculous, barely over-the-top, I don't know, this, this thing where I just kind of pretended to forget my mother's name, that I would rather this kid think that I was anything but not hear me stutter. 
stutter. So I did. I just kind of like put my hands on my head and I was like, oh, have you ever happened to you? I can't remember my mother's name. That's so weird. I wonder if I'm not feeling well. This is crazy. And I just kind of mumbled to myself and eventually just walked away from this kid and, and avoided this kid throughout my high school years because if he sees me again, what is he going to say? Hey, do you remember your mother's name? It's just a lot of things like that of, of, again, trying to avoid it, working very, very hard to, to avoid it. And in terms of, you know, the, the lonely times or the loneliest times or kind of the, 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 the darkest times, I remember in high school at night before going to bed, um, just, just that loneliness feeling kind of overwhelming me. And I, I, I used to draw like a picture of a person inside of a cage with a little like thought bubble with the word lonely, that that's what the, the person who was me was, was saying. And I would just write the word loneliness on a sheet of paper and tape it up to my wall. I mean, it, 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 it was a, a consuming feeling for, um, for a long stretch in my life. I know that you went to Duke Ellington High School. For those that don't know, it's in Washington, D.C., and they focus on performing arts there. I'm wondering, if did you find a sense of community in the world of performing arts? Yeah, so uh, I am a very, very proud Duke Ellington alum. What's wild about those years, because there were, there were many things happening at the same time. Those four years at Duke Ellington were some of the happiest four years of my life. I had great friends there. I loved performing. So that was happening. And from the outside, it sure looked like I was a very happy person. At the same time, I was working very hard to not let anyone at Ellington figure out that I was a person who stuttered. So as close as I was with people, there was still a wall up where I was always kind of on guard and always working hard to hide my stutter. Were you enjoying performance? Oh, I loved to perform. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in an arts family. My my dad, he was the founder of a nonprofit in Washington, D.C., called the Living Stage Theater Company. So I, I, I grew up around the arts. Performing for me was always second in nature. It's just kind of what I did. And when I was on stage, I felt very at home. I felt more at home actually on stage than off stage. When I would perform in high school and get up on stage, I wouldn't stutter. The stutter would just kind of magically go away. And I do think that that was a piece to why I liked performing at the time. And I felt successful at Ellington, and it was a way, because I was very insecure, and so it was a way for me to kind of show my friends what I could do. And as soon as I would step off stage, my stutter would be there to say hello and shake my hand and say, yeah, oh yeah, I'm still here. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Taro Alexander, who'll tell us about the founding and evolution of the Stuttering Association for the Young and the effect it had on his life. This is ASHA Voices. What will your job look like in 10 years, 5 years, 
Next week, work is changing, and often we have to change with it. From automation to teleworking, the world of work is evolving. Coming up on a future episode of ASHA Voices, we'll take a look at some of the changes that are on the horizon for audiologists and speech-language pathologists. Join the conversation. What are you thinking about when it comes to the future of work? Email us at podcast at asha.org or leave us a voicemail message at 301-296-5804. You can find that number on our website too. We might include your comment in an upcoming episode. After high school, Taro says he continued acting in New York and with touring companies and in Colorado. He met other people who stutter, and he was introduced to organizations for people who stutter. Eventually, Taro met his wife, and they got married. Taro says his wife helped him take down the wall he built around his stutter. One day, later, Taro said he began thinking about the impact he wanted to have on the world, and soon after that, he founded Say. When I founded Say in 2001, I was hoping to create an environment where young people who stutter could feel good about who they are, where young people who stutter could be in an environment where they feel free to be themselves fully. I wanted to create an environment where young people who stutter could make friends with each other and find a a sense of community, a sense of belonging. I wanted to create a place where young people who stutter could tell the stories that they want to tell and do it in their own time, in their own voice, without the fear of being ridiculed and uh, be in a place where they have as much time as they need to speak, where they know they'll be valued and validated and honored. And I wanted to create a place that was super fun. And I know it's evolved since it began, but tell us a little bit about that evolution. What were some of the services you provided early on and and the resources that you had? Say really started as a performing arts program where young people would write and perform in their own plays and write their own songs and poetry and dances. 18 years later, that is still happening, 100%. The core of who we are and why we started hasn't changed at all. We've grown a lot and we've added a lot to that, but the the performing arts piece of how this started, that is still going very strong um, every weekend in New York City year-round um, and pretty soon uh, every weekend in Washington, D.C. We used to travel a lot and we would perform at a lot of national stuttering conferences uh, both in, in the United States and abroad. One of the pieces of feedback we would hear often when we would travel, both from kids who stutter and their parents and speech-language pathologists, this is great. Is there anything like this near me? This is great. I don't live in New York City. How can I be involved? After many years of this, I started to think about what would be the best way to bring young people who stutter from around the country, around the world, to one place. And so that's where the idea for Camp Say came from. There's water, there's uh, rock climbing, like what you might picture if you picture a summer camp, but everyone there is a young person with a stutter. Camp Say is now a two-week overnight camp uh, in the beautiful mountains of Pennsylvania in the 
Poconos. Right now we have about 160 to 170 campers every summer. The idea for Camp Say came from how do we how do we meet this very clear need? So the first year, and that was 2008, of Camp Say was 27 campers. Uh, had no idea what it would grow into. I had no idea that Camp Say would become this really large, thriving community that is a incredible support system year round. Even though camp is two weeks, we are a family and and we are in 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 touch with with the families and most importantly, the campers are in touch with each other. And that that idea that kind of wish or dream in 2001 of kids would meet each other and create lifelong friendships, that is real. I mean, that is, that is just the truth. I also understand that SAY provides speech-language treatment. Could you talk a little bit about the roles of SLPs with SAY as it's evolved? When I had the idea to start SAY in 2001, one of the things that I realized that a friend of mine told me you're going to have to reach out to speech pathologists and tell them about this because that's how you're going to get the word out. And I went through the yellow pages and called every single speech language pathologist in the New York City area. For all of you speech therapists that are listening, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for what you do and for the incredible kind-heartedness of, of you and of your profession. And I tell you, Every phone call that I made, the speech therapist on the phone was kind and caring and excited. They thought this idea of using the arts to work with young people who stutter was awesome. And they said, send me a flyer. I will hand it out to my clients, everyone. And from that first list of phone calls, I made some really dear friends. Some of my dearest friends are the leaders in this field, people who really specialize in stutter. Uttering. And they said, yes, I'll, I'll give a flyer, but let's have lunch. Let's have coffee. It was incredible. Just so, so, so incredible to be embraced by the speech language pathology community. And that's how it's been for 18 years. I, I love this community. What was very interesting was we started to think, again, how can we do more? How can we serve more of the, the full person in this really holistic way. And so it was from those conversations with a lot of our participants and a lot of their parents that we thought about what would it look like at, say, to have an in-house speech therapist, which again was a total shift. After really thinking about this for a couple of years, we thought this would be great. You know, this would be really great. So much, I think, of any kind of therapy is building the trust and building the rapport um, between the speech therapist and the client. And so that's what we were able to do and um, able to bring in speech therapy in a holistic, accepting way, saying to the young person, what are your goals? What are your communication goals? And I think exploring this idea of, yes, you can be an effective, excellent communicator and be a person who stutters at the same time. Both are true. And let's work towards that. And so the work 
that we do in speech therapy isn't so different from the work that we do at camp, isn't so different from the work that we do in our theater program. You're just doing it in a one-on-one way or in a therapeutic group session with a really awesome, fun speech language pathologist who really gets stuttering. And because we're an organization, there's a lot of crossover. Your speech language pathologist that you are working with might also be the person that's helping you write a play, might also be the person that's holding the mic as you sing your song. The last thing I want to ask you is how Say has changed you. What have you noticed about yourself that has changed since you founded Say? Oh, man. I am a completely different person now than I was when I started, say, in 2001. I had a lot more fear in me. I don't think I knew how kind people are. I don't think I knew how kind this world is and how much empathy is out there. And I'm incredibly thankful to every child and teenager and parent and speech-language pathologist um, and grandmother and grandfather and aunt and uncle and everyone for their passion, for their trust in me, for their trust in say. We call say a family. We feel like it's a big family, and it's it's truly an honor to have been a part of it. And, you know, it continues. It's really wild. You know, we are we are now at the beginning of our 19th year and we've done a lot of really cool things and in many ways I feel like we're just getting warmed up. You know, I'm so excited that we're going to start say DC and to have a year-round program for young people who stutter in the Washington DC community for me to come back home come to a city and, and, and a region that I love and that I grew up not always having uh, a good time, not having a sense of community, to be able to come back to D.C. and provide a community um, like, say, for kids here, I couldn't be more excited about and, and truly honored to have that opportunity to give back to a community that gave me so much. Tara Alexander is the founder of Say and will receive the 2019 Annie Award this year at ASHA Convention. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. See Tara Alexander in My Beautiful Stutter at the ASHA Convention. ASHA is hosting a screening on Thursday, November 21st. Stick around for a post-film chat following the screening. And then on Friday, November 22nd, Tara will receive the Annie Glenn Award at the ASHA Convention Awards Ceremony. All of this is at the ASHA convention in Orlando, Florida. Registration is open now for ASHA's largest in-person professional development and networking event. Find out more at convention.asha.org. Support for this episode of ASHA Voices is brought to you by the Office of Multicultural Affairs at ASHA. Celebrating its 50th anniversary, OMA is focused on helping ASHA members address cultural and linguistic diversity in the speech-language hearing world. Find resources to increase your cultural competence by going to asha.org and searching for multicultural. 
Support for ASHA Voices also comes from the ASHA Continuing Education Registry. The ASHA CE Registry serves more than 120,000 ASHA members and offers access to opportunities to earn ASHA CEUs to keep your practice credentials up to date. More about these and many other benefits at asha.org CE. Now we'll hear from another presenter from ASHA's upcoming convention in Orlando. First, listen to this. Beatboxing. You may know it best from hip-hop, but at the University of Southern California, researchers are using these performances for something else. Videos of MRIs, like the one we just heard, give a behind-the-scenes look at the relationship between vocalization, language, and the body. Reed Blaylock studies linguistics at USC, where he works with these videos. And in November, he will be at the ASHA convention presenting research and observations on beatboxing and speech science. He joins us now from California. Reed, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And joining Reed is one of his former colleagues, a researcher and beatboxer herself, Namisha Patil. Namisha, welcome. Thank you. All right, so uh, let's start with uh, some background on beatboxing. Uh, Namisha, give us a quick overview for those who aren't familiar with it. So beatboxing basically is a musical art form, and you use your mouth or your vocal track to mimic instruments or percussive sounds. So a lot of people might be familiar with it, kind of more in like the old school hip hop scene, but it has evolved to sort of include different sounds across genres. So you recorded these um, using MRIs. So could you tell us a little bit about why you're taking this unusual view of, of this performance? So I think the MRI technology that we have is really useful because it lets you actually understand what's going on in the vocal tract. You know, usually you hear a beatboxer or you're beatboxing yourself, but you don't really know what's going on inside your vocal tract. But this view that we have in the MRI lets you actually see different parts of your throat moving to create these sounds, which is a really useful tool. How do you learn to beatbox? So the most common way that you learn how to beatbox is basically by imitation. And that imitation is acoustic for the most part. You know, you'll hear somebody making a sound, a basic sound like a kick drum, say, where it's just and you're like, okay, well, I want to make that sound. And what you might try to do is you'll be watching somebody doing the sound and you'll see, oh, like their lips come together. And that's basically all you can get from that. So that's part one. Then part two is usually beatboxers will be trying to explain. So it's a lot of kind of stumbling through the description of the articulations that actually occur. But that is the most common way, and that is how most people learn. Do you think you could teach me to, to make one of the sounds now? We can try. Okay, let's do it. Okay, so three very common sounds in beatboxing are the kick drum, the um, hi-hat, and the snare. So you'll have something like... So the kind of pared-down version of that that a lot of people kind of go to is boots and cats. So think of saying the word boots, but just say the B very hard. So boots, 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 boots. Okay. So we're going to work on your, we're going to work on your kick drum a little bit. Okay. Okay. So for the kick drum. So here, right now, this is like, I'm basically offering you only step two because you can't see what I'm actually doing with my mouth. Um, <laughs> I, I know I need the MRI. Yeah. So basically you're going to put your lips together and press them down kind of hard to create some pressure and then let air build up in your mouth a little bit and sort of let it fall out as you say just the B. So, boo, 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 
boo. You're saying like a boo boo sound? <laughs> yeah. Think of just the B. Get rid of the vowel entirely. Focus. Boo. 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 Yeah. Now do that. Boo. Yeah. Boo. And you know how you're vocalizing? You're saying B. B. Boo. 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 Yeah. Take the vocalization out of it. Only do what you're doing with your lips. Whisper it. Hey. Yeah. There you go. So, yeah. All right. I'm on my way. Yeah, you're definitely on your way. Uh, tell me a little bit about working as an interdisciplinary team. When you sat down together, how would those conversations go? We would get together and sit down and just watch videos over and over again. We started off with some of the of the more common sounds, kick drums, hi-hats, case snares, and then we would try to describe what was happening. I would be shocked at everything that was happening in the vocal track because I was seeing all kinds of things that I never expected to see. The kick drums and the hi-hats, not so much. Those are sounds that are similar to sounds you find in language. But as we progressed farther on, we got to click rolls and... What, what are those? Uh, Misha? So click rolls and inward basses are pretty advanced sounds. Frankly, they're sounds that I'm still working on and I can't do them fully properly yet. But, um, you know, there's beatboxers out there that will basically manipulate their tongue or their lips in certain ways. Um, and these are sort of the sounds that Reed had mentioned before, where we're not really sure if we find them in any known language. So uh, I'll do kind of like an outward lip roll, but something like... And then the you can do that inward as well, which mine isn't as fully developed, but it's like that's not what it's supposed to sound like, but you know, it's it's on a tie. It sounds like you're shuffling a deck of cards. Yeah, it does sound like that. What it really gets me is on sounds like that lip roll and the click roll, at least some variants of the click roll, what you're seeing is not a typical inward to outward pulmonic airstream. That is, you're not seeing the lungs handling all of the breathing action. Instead, you're getting the tongue creating a closure and then pushing forward. The tongue is squeezing air out past the tongue tip for the click roll or past the lips for the lip roll. It's a, it's a pretty novel way of manipulating airflow in the vocal tract. What can we learn from this research and the beatboxing videos about how we communicate with each other? It's a loaded question. It is a loaded question. It's a, it's a big question. Did you have any key takeaways? I think to start off, I think some of the key takeaways that we had were, first of all, there are certain sounds that beatboxers make that aren't found in any known language. So that is a huge takeaway because it sort of helps kind of expand our definition of what the vocal tract can do. Yeah, it invites a lot of questions. Maybe it doesn't tell us so much about uh, how we communicate, but it invites a lot of questions about how we don't communicate. So beatboxers do use sounds where you breathe inward, but in speech, we don't usually do that. Beatboxers use sounds where the tongue is squeezing air out of the mouth, but in speech, we don't usually do that either. Why does beatboxing have all of these sounds that speech doesn't have? Why doesn't speech have all of these beatboxing sounds? If the human mouth can do these things, then why don't we all the time? Why don't these sounds appear in language? whole categories of sounds and sound combinations aren't used. And so there's a question about whether this is 
some kind of conspiracy in a in a phonological sense uh, conspiracy here is just a trend to be in a particular direction because of a tendency of the language faculty or whether it's because of a giant accident that we don't actually be box office speaking that kind of question gives us some some food for thought something to chew on as we're thinking about how we communicate with each other all right read namisha Thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. I'm going to keep working on my kick drum noise there. You'll get it. <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks. Uh, Namisha, would you mind one more time giving us a beat that we can go out on? Of course, of course. Let's go. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. The beatboxing you heard at the beginning of this interview came from videos of MRIs collected and analyzed by Professor Sri Narayanan and his team, including Reed Blaylock and Namisha Patil, at the University of Southern California. The research is conducted with support from NIH and NSF. See Reed Blaylock at ASHA Convention 2019. He'll be presenting on his research about beatboxing. Find out more at convention.asha.org. ASHA Voices is produced by the American Speech-Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the ASHA Leader magazine. Support for this episode of ASHA Voices is brought to you by the Office of Multicultural Affairs at ASHA. Go to asha.org and search for multicultural to find ways to increase your cultural competence. Support for ASHA Voices also comes from the ASHA Continuing Education Registry. Learn how to earn and track CEUs at asha.org CE. A special thank you to Ryan Geelan for letting us use the clip of Tara Alexander from My Beautiful Stutter that we played at the beginning of this episode. Remember, you can see the film on Thursday, November 21st at ASHA Convention in Orlando. Production assistance comes from Pamela Lawrence, I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices. Next time on ASHA Voices... What do you see when you look at an audiogram? It may not be the same experience for the audiologist and the client. We'll be joined by staff members of the Ida Institute in Denmark to discuss hearing loss in the wild, where it affects clients. How we talk about hearing loss, next time on ASHA Voices.